thankful to be here today. Um, Vonda had twisted Brother Carey's arm, and uh, he's out today getting shoulder surgery because it's been pulled out of joint so he could, I could come and preach today. That's not true. Um, but I, I'm so glad and thankful to be here and uh, glad to come into South Georgia. Um, I, I tell you what, though, some of y'all brought some gnats in with you. And they were eating me up during the song service, but uh, I think they've, they've gone back to where they belong, and that's, that's good. We're going to be this morning in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, uh, verses 24 to 27. And uh, today is going to be a message dealing with the illusions or the lies or the myths that people believe or cling to. And uh, we're talking about Satan's bid for your family. We are in a world today that is... Uh, constantly attacking the family. It is not something that occasionally comes, but it consistently comes. It's coming after us to, to do many things to tear apart that fabric and that structure that makes our nation and our society uh, better and not worse. In um, chapter 7 of Matthew, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking here, and he's already told us so many things. He comes to the end and shares in verse 24 about two different uh, types of houses that are built. And he's comparing them to those who hear his word and act or do what he says. Uh, when I was in growing up in church, uh, one of the earliest parables I remember has to be this parable. It was so common and so well known that I think all of us could remember it. And whether we know much about the Bible, we're familiar with this parable. There are many other parables we may be familiar with, uh, miracles, events, encounters with Jesus. But this parable is one that sticks out in our minds. It is also one that when we were, Lavanda, probably learning those early songs that we teach the children, they may, they may even sing it today. They were talking about the wise man built his house on the rock, the foolish man built his house on the sand. And we, we had the motions, and we did the rain came down, and the floods came up. That song, y'all still sing that today? Need, need to revive that one if you have it. It's a good one. It's an oldie but a goodie. It's one of those good songs, good classic children's songs. But it's a parable that is so true that you forget the truth of it, and you forget the uh, intensity of it because it's just something you think, well, build on the rock, build on the sand. But listen to what Jesus says here as he closes out this sermon on the mount. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them or does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The result was, I'm going to add this, the result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. In Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities, he begins it by saying something 
that has been used over the years to describe society. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I think every time I thought about our society through the years of growing up and being a pastor and dealing with our, our people and our churches and how do we make an impact in our world, that probably sums up the times we're in. Some say it's the best of times. Some say it's the worst of times. And there's no question about it. There is confusion. There is ignorance. Defiance. All of these are abounding to the point that marriage, gender, and morality doesn't mean anything anymore. And there are those today who look at all of these things and they realize the home is under attack. We don't know what a woman is anymore. We don't know what marriage is anymore. We don't know what gender is anymore. And all of these things have become so fluid that anything goes is the mantra. Violence is a common occurrence throughout our land. And the media lets us know about it every chance they get. We are more technical than ever before. We're able to do and know things better than we've ever known them before. And yet all of this does not make us any better. The medical marvels that are in our world astound us and amaze us every time we go and find out what a doctor or a surgery or a procedure can do. It amazes us. But like Vance Hadner, who said years ago, we have learned how to lengthen life, but not how to deepen life. It's become a place where we're living longer, and yet we're living more shallow. So the master deceiver, the devil, that Jesus described as the liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning, Jesus described him in that way. He keeps working his modern deceptions, and he needs to be exposed, and he needs to be refuted. And so today what I want you to see is these two houses that were built, one upon the rock and one upon the sand. Because what Jesus says is the one who hears my word and does them, acts upon them, he is what like the wise man who builds on a, on a rock. But if you hear my words and you don't act upon them, he said you are like a foolish man that builds his house upon the sand. So Satan, the liar, the father of lies, the master liar, is lying to us today. And telling us, you can build upon the sand. You can, build, you can make it a beautiful structure, but if it has no foundation, it doesn't really matter. He tells us that lie today. I want to point out to you some lies that he is telling us today. And talk to you about what God has to say about what your life, your family, your marriage, our society should be built on. The first lie is this. This is the lie that the devil is telling us. God's word is not always true, so it cannot be trusted. Now, you notice that I did not say God's word is not true. God's word is not always true. There are some things that people say, well, this is true, and they like to believe it. They like to use it. The media likes to tell you, this is what the Bible says, but they don't look at it as if it's always true. They look at it as if it is sometimes true, and therefore you cannot trust the word of God. Why allow something so unreliable to teach me how to live, to tell me what to do? And so we think about that lie the devil tells us. We oftentimes believe that because we say to ourselves, there are some good truths in the Bible, but there are some things that are not always true. And there are so many in our world today who have twisted the Bible to say whatever they want it to say. From the very beginning, we have had the attitude that my situation is different. Uh, God will make an exception for me. 
And as I've been a pastor for many years, I've come to realize the churches today are filled with people, not just the world. The churches today are filled with people that say, God will overlook my situation. I can do what I want to do, live like I want to live, and call myself a child of God. In the beginning, in Genesis 3, Eve had an encounter with the serpent. The serpent came to her and asked her, what did God say? She told him what God said, but then he questioned her, and that from the very beginning has been the problem, throwing doubt on the word of God, saying, did God really say that? And he twisted it, caused her to doubt it, and not know what it really was about. The story of Achan in the book of Joshua is the story of a man who when the uh, the children of Israel had come out of the wilderness into the land of promise, hid some of the treasure that was found, that was taken in Jericho, rather than turning it in, he hid it in the ground in his tent. And Joshua 7 tells the story how God pointed Joshua down to the finally the one who had done it. And when he confronted Achan about his sin there in Joshua 7, here's what Achan said. He said, I saw, I coveted, and I took. Many of us today, that's the way we do. We see something, we desire it, and we take it. We do whatever we can to make it ours and to be a part of our life. So our life and our marriage and our family may need some work on communication. They may need some work on personal issues. But the main thing is that if we are ignorant of what God has to say and we neglect what God has to say and we forsake what God has to say, what difference Will it make? Because if we don't do that, all the other things don't really matter. So if you believe it to be true, the question is, do you submit to its authority? Now, if someone joins the military, and he goes in, and he is a private, and a person of higher rank comes along and tells him something to do, and he says, what business is of yours that I should do what you tell me to do? He doesn't understand submission to authority. And when someone has a higher rank, In the military, we expect them to do what those who are higher than them tell them to do. If a person goes onto a a ball team and uh, of whatever it is, and the coach says, this is what we're going to do, and they say, I don't think I like that. I don't want to do that. I want to run my own play. I want to live my own way. Then he will not get along very well on the team. So we must understand that God has given us his word. Jesus even said, Sanctify them in truth in John 17, 17. Then he says, thy word is truth. And so we understand that God has given us his truth, and what he tells us is how we are to live our lives. The question you have to ask yourself today is, am I living my life by the best advice, or am I living my life by what God's principles in his word have told me? That's how you build upon the rock versus the sand. A second lie the devil tells us is this. What I see and hear does not matter. Now, we guard our children when they're little from certain things. We don't let them watch certain movies, listen to certain music or or other things. We sometimes uh, keep them from different conversations that we think might be beyond them. And we used to sing another little song, Lavanda. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's another one you can put on your list, okay? (laughs) And if it's good for children, it's still good for us. 
I confess to you there are many things that you and I have taken over the years that we look back on and we say, I wish I'd never even been exposed to that. I used to hear people say uh, oftentimes, I'm a news junkie. Well, we don't need junkies in the church, and we don't need people that are junkies to a drug, much less the media. And so if you are a news junkie, if you're a media junkie, if you're a social media junkie, then you need to ask yourself, is the media, the social media, uh, the world messages having a greater hold on me than what God has to say? And so when we think about what I see and what I hear does not matter, understand, is my time, is my energy, are my emotions being consumed with what the world is saying to me, or am I letting what God has to say to me be more important than anything else I hear or see? Do you need to set boundaries around you for the media? I know there are times, and I simply say, I've got to turn this off. I don't need to see or hear what the world is telling me. It may not be bad. It may just be wrong. And you need to understand what God has to say about that. And so you and I need to understand that the words and the messages I hear and see do matter in my life. If I hear the word of God and I act on it, that's like building on the rock. If I hear it and I don't act on it, that's like building on the sand. Third lie, third lie. No person has to pay for their sin. Galatians 6 is a familiar passage in verses 6 and 7 where Paul said these words we oftentimes uh, hear quoted in some way. He says, uh, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. So if your life is filled with sowing to the, to the wrong things and then you expect something different to come up, you're going to be gravely mistaken. As I rode up here today, we rode through fields and I saw, well, there's, there's this growing and that growing. And what they planted is what is coming up. I didn't ride out here today and say, wow, there's a good, good pasture full of weeds. I didn't see that. Uh, I used to live in orange country down in South Florida. And I'd ride through and see oranges all over the place. Ride over toward Tampa and see strawberries and see tomatoes and see all kinds. And you know what? They, what came up is what they planted. What they reaped was what they had sown. And a person can spend his life sowing to the wrong things and expect to reap something different. He's gravely mistaken. So a person will have to account for their sin. You will reap what you plant. You will reap what you sow. Romans 14, 12 so, says, So then let, uh, let each of us give an account of himself. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. In other words, don't sow wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. You will reap what you sow. A person will pay for their sin. They will give an account to God. Every person will give an account of their life to God. Here's the fourth line. The church is unnecessary. The church is unnecessary. I could write a book and I would not be exhaustive and I would not even tell the whole story about the problems in churches today. I've been in a variety of churches. I've pastored a variety of churches. 
And I can tell you about all the, the folks. And someone said about the church, it's like Noah's Ark. If it wasn't for the, the, the water on the outside, you could stand to stink on the inside. So you know what I'm talking about. And the church has got its problems, to be sure. And some people say, well, the church doesn't really matter. We don't need the church. We just need uh, to love God. Uh, I heard years ago during the Jesus movement, which was when I was in high school, someone made this comment. They said, uh, we're going to have, we're gonna have a, a singing and a praising God time, but we're not going to have church. It's not about the church. And they misunderstood what it was all about. It is about the church. The bride of Christ is the church. And it may not be very uh, clean or very beautiful, but he's one day going to make it just right and present it to himself. Jesus died for the church. Jesus cares about the church. And how can someone say they love God and not love his bride? Now, my bride is here today. And uh, if any of you come up to me and criticize her, we'll probably, we'll probably leave. I start to say take you outside, but no, I... I'm not as young as I once was. We leave. We, I'm not going to let you talk about my bride. And you talk about the bride of Christ. How do you expect God? How do you expect Christ to feel when you talk about his bride? The bride has some problems. There's some churches today that are, are false churches that are not, not looking like they ought to look. But if someone says they love God, they don't love his church, they are mistaken. It is disturbing how easily we can let things keep us from the church, how we can find it work or recreation can drive us away. If I don't have anything to do, anywhere to go, I'll go to church. I, I used to see people like that all through the years. Well, if it was a beautiful day and we, we get to the lake or get to the beach, the river, or we, may, we, yeah, we might. If it's raining and looks terrible, well, we may not go to church because it's raining and looks terrible. If it's too cold, we might go to church because... We can at least get there and stay warm in the church. So people have so many different attitudes about the church. The church is a necessary part. If the church is not what it, what it needs to be, find one where it is pointed in the right direction, leaning upon the word of God. The word of God is proclaimed and preached and believed and be a part of helping that church become the church that God wants it to be. So the church is necessary. In, uh, in Ephesians 5, uh, I share this with um, couples when they're getting married sometimes. Yeah, Paul's speaking there about Christ. He's been husbands and wives submitting to one another, loving one another. And he says uh, in verse 25 and then again in verse 29, these words in Ephesians 5. He says, just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church. Now, if you aren't sure how to love your wife, men... You should love her as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He died for the church. He gave his life. He gave his all for the church. That's a pretty strong statement. And so if I live my life not letting the, the, my bride be uh, misaligned or, or mistreated, uh, but I love her as Christ loved the church, and I love the, Christ loved the church, the church is important to him. Then in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but gather together, encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what some people say? 
They'll get out, and if something bad will be going on, they'll get you at work and say, man, we must be in the last time, so look how bad it is. Well, then guess what the Scripture says? Because we, we do see how bad it is. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. You say, well, it's, it's not exactly what I want it to be, the music, the preaching, the this and that. Yeah. Well, we'll help make it be part of what it should be. And so it's important that you realize that God's people need to get together. One of the things COVID did, and I, 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 um, I still marvel at this, we couldn't meet for a while. And uh, it became very strained in some ways. And then when we could meet, in our church anyway, the first ones to come back were the people that were of the uh, most vulnerable age. The older people came back. The young people found, I could just watch it on TV. I can watch it on Facebook. I can watch it on the Internet. I can go to the beach and watch it later. I can do what I want to do, but they forsook the assembling of themselves together. And many others did found that to be a common thing. So what if you don't teach your children about everything? What if they don't know about all the, the intricacies of how to do uh, everything there is to do if you do not teach them about knowing God? It is not the responsibility of the church to do all Look how little you have them here. I mean, your children come. They might be here for a little bit on Wednesday, a little bit on Sunday. Uh, you say, well, and then the, look how long the school has them. Then you're saying, well, I don't know what's wrong with them. It is our responsibility to pour our lives into teaching them the things they need to know. The church is necessary. The devil will say the church is unnecessary, but it is very necessary. Here's the fifth line. You don't need to trust Christ today. I didn't say you don't need to trust Christ. The devil will tell you, you don't need to do it today. Don't get in a hurry. Don't get emotional about this. Don't get worked up about this. Don't think to yourself that this is something you put off or you can talk to someone later about doing it. You don't need, if you know you need to trust Christ, you never trusted Christ, you need to trust him today. The scripture says very clearly in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, it says today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. If you know the truth, act upon the truth. That is one who builds on the rock. The one who hears the truth and doesn't act on it is like the one who builds upon the sand. Jesus talked to Nicodemus, a very religious man, one night. And Nicodemus said, we know you're a great teacher. We know you're sent from God. And Jesus stopped him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus changed the subject. Wait a minute. What do you mean? I'm a grown man. I mean, how do I go back to my mother's womb? What are you talking about? Jesus said, what's born of the flesh is flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. Born from above, the scripture says. You must have a spiritual birth. You've had an earthly birth. And Nicodemus, you need a spiritual birth. And from what we can see, Nicodemus had a transformation because of the way he walked and asked questions and seemed to know about Jesus. Paul was put in prison in the book of Acts. One of the times he's put in, not all the time. Uh, I went to prison many times, but I always was let out. And uh, jail went on a regular basis. And I went with a man in our church, and he said, you know, i always thankful that they let me out. And I am too. Because when you hear that door clang, it's like nothing you've ever heard. And yet, we knew that when the time was over and the preaching was over, we were going to walk out of there. Paul went in. It didn't work that way. 
Paul spent much time in prison, much time in jail in many places. He gets in jail, and um, he is with a man named Agrippa, a governor. And Agrippa comes to Paul and tries to tell him what uh, he should do. And he, he says, I'm going to turn you over to Festus, who's the new guy coming in, the new administration. So Festus says, I'm going to wait till um, uh, Agrippa comes. And, um, it, and Felix had turned him over to Festus. So he's, I'm going to wait till Agrippa comes, and I'm going to have you spout your case to him because he understands the ways of Jews. So all of this is chapter 26 of Acts. He comes to all of this, and Festus even interrupts Paul when he's talking. Agrippa hears him with his wife, and as they hear him, he... Um, Paul says, I know you believe these things. I know you understand these things. Here's what Agrippa said. Agrippa said, almost, King James, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. And in the New American Standard, which I read from a moment ago, you think, Paul, that in a short time you can convince me to become a Christian? Some of you think you've got to know more. You've got to understand more. If you know you're a sinner and you know Christ is a Savior and you know he died on the cross for sinners and you know that he came to pay your sin debt, you came to, you, the only way to heaven is to trust him and him alone and put your faith in him. If you know that, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You don't need to trust Christ today, the devil says. You do need to trust Christ and you need to do it today. This is the time God would have you be saved. You say, what well, is Mother's Day? What a better day. What about next Sunday, Senior Adult Day? What a better day. You say, I'm, not, I'm too old, I'm too young. Doesn't matter. You need to do it. If you know you need to do it, trust him. Trust him today. Here's the final lie that I want to share with you. There's probably many more, many more illusions. The devil is full of them. Deceptions. Um, this lie says, there is no judgment day. There is no judgment day. There is no time when we will end and things will be uh, a time where we stand before God answer for our life. Oh, yes, there will be. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. There is a time when God will call everyone into account. You say, what about this one? What about that one? You know, I could talk about the folks in foreign lands and wonder whether or not they've heard the word of God and heard the gospel. But the real issue is, you who have heard the gospel, what have you done? Have you acted upon it and built your life on the rock? Or are you building it on the sand? Are you using the person in another place far off and wonder what God's going to do with them to excuse yourself from trusting him today and standing before him on the day of judgment knowing that he will judge your life on the basis of his son. 1 Peter 4, 5 says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So the question is not, um, will you die? Some people question that. I don't question that. Everybody's going to die. You may be young and think, I'll never die. And, and all of us will die. You may even think to yourself, you know, when will I die? Preacher, tell me when I'll die. I don't know when you're going to die. I don't know. I do know you will die. I don't know when you'll die, but I know this. How you die is the most important. Because you won't die standing before God, listing your accolades of all that you've done, your accomplishments, your degrees, your education, how much money you made. You won't do any of that. Those things will mean nothing. So how you die is either this way. 
you will die in your sin or you will die in faith. Are you ready to stand before God? Because you have said, I said yes to the Lord Jesus. I put my faith alone in him who died for me, who, I, who rose for me, who lived for me. I turned from my way, turned to his way, trusted him. Does it mean you live a perfect life? Probably not. But it does mean this, like these Georgia football players, when they're getting ready to be tackled, and they're always hit, and they're hit, and they're hit, and hit, they're always pointing toward the goal when they go down. You may not have reached what you need to reach and gained what you need to gain, but like Paul said, I'm reaching for the goal of the upper call in Christ Jesus. You're reaching out for that. Are you dying in faith? Not in yourself, not in your works, not in your deeds. Or are you dying in your sin? Now, your sin may be honorable sin, honest sin. It might be even commendable sin. But if you die without Christ, you die in your sin. And so there is a judgment day. The devil said there is no judgment day. So what you and I have to ask ourselves is this. Are you like the wise man who built his house on the rock because he heard the word of God and built his life on the truth of the word of God? Jesus was not talking about construction uh, advice here. He was talking about a life advice here, how your life and your family, your, your marriage, our society is built upon those who hear the word of God and act and do and obey the word of God. You're like those who build it on the rock. The winds will come. The storms will come. The water will fall. The floods will come. And you'll stand. Life is not one empty of persecution. Not one empty of difficulties and trials. Life is one when the trials come. What is your life built upon? The rock. And then there's those who build upon the sand. And the trials come. The adversities come, the difficulties come, and all of these things come, and your life will be measured because is it built upon something that will hold up? When the floods and the rain and the winds and all those things come, will it stand? You see, today you're the one who has to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. Wish I could. But if you today know that there's a life that can be built upon the rock who is Jesus Christ, like the choir sang a moment ago, standing on the solid rock? Or is it one built upon the sands of the shifting ideas and trends of this time? It'll fall. The final assessment, the building inspector himself will come on that final day and he will inspect. You say it may stand to the end of time, but it will stand in eternity and you stand before Jesus Christ. I'd like you to pray with me this morning. and Let's seek the Lord now. Father, I ask you that you would search our hearts today. I pray that in this place there would be a spirit of obedience, a spirit of those who may need to repent and trust you, a spirit of those in this place today who have come to a place in their life where they've trusted on so many other things, but they need to trust you. You bring us to that place, Lord, where you do a search of our hearts. You do an introspection of what's going on within us. Help us today to say yes to the one who said yes to the cross. Lord, just as you wrapped up that sermon so many years ago and said, here's what you need to know. You need to know that you can be wise with your life or you can be foolish with your life. Pray, Lord, today you'd help us to be the wise people who who'd hear your word and act on it in obedience. 
We pray that you search us now in this time of invitation. We pray you would do the work that you came to do, calling us to yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together this morning and sing. And as God is speaking, as he calls, there will be someone here at the front, some folks here. If you want to come pray, you want to come and ask God to help you with something you're going through, you want to call on his name today and trust him, you're among friends. You can do that. Everyone will rejoice with what God wants to do in your life today. You come as we sing. <laughs>